Well, I've learned that when Deborah says don't sit, I don't sit. So you have a lot of authority. Um, just I want to say a couple of things just before we get into the word this morning. Uh, first is um, thank you, Rick, for the earlier introduction. I haven't really started anything much myself. Uh, my approach has been to find people who are called and gifted and then to work alongside them, sometimes empower them, uh, just to walk with, with them for some time and give them the encouragement. And so Joshua and Joanne, who are at the back, have started Agape Community Center, and um, those are two of the first ones that we're able to, to partner with. And second thing I want to say is I think there's others in this congregation who are, um, by virtue of their lives and what God has called them to do and what they've actually done, more qualified to give this message on Compassion Sunday. I look at Jenny McGee in the back with Starfish, a global businesswoman now. And, um, and yesterday I, we've been, I've been entertaining a group of pastors from Japan this week. And yesterday we took them out to uh, Robin and Joyce's work at Hope Foster Home. And it's impossible to... To hear that story and to not be broken, the pastors, many of them at times were in tears as they heard the story. And um, I told Robin right at the end of the discussion that um, he's the guy who should be giving this message. That's, that's what he told me he would do. He's, he's in charge of sound, so he told me to turn my mic off if I tried to put that on him. So it's me. But I need to begin uh, this message by referring to a part of the body that we seldom talk about, at least publicly. And even less in the church, and like all of our internal organs, the bowels are, only, are something we're only conscious of usually well, when it goes, something goes wrong. When we regret having drank the water, or um, we've eaten that spicy dish, or we've run out of prune juice. So it's interesting that in the Greek language, in the language that the, the Bible was, the New Testament was written in, the bowels were the seat of compassion. This was the place of compassion. So today in our English language, the word heart kind of fulfills the same function when we say my heart goes out to you or have a heart or this really breaks my heart. Our use of the heart, though, to communicate compassion is much less impacting than this first century Greek word, the bowels. In Greek, I think I might have a slide, don't I hear for this Uh, next one? So the bowels uh, were this very indelicate sounding word, splankna. Now, if I was going to make up a language, that's probably the word I'd choose for bowels, splankna. But in the pen of the gospel writers, they turned this noun, splankna, the bowels, into a verb. And it was like this, splanknitsoma, which sounds like a medical condition. But in the entire New Testament, it's only Jesus who was diagnosed with this condition. He was the only one whose bowels became a verb. So so to say that Jesus had splanknizoma would be to say that there was a deep and visceral reaction within him to what he saw. In English, it might be better uh, translated as gut-wrenching, a sense that was so deep that it affected him physically. So if we want to go to Scripture on Compassion Sunday, we have to talk about the bowels. And as inglorious as it might sound, the bowels of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of Matthew, the commission of Christ and the compassion of Christ are tied together very closely. And actually, in Matthew's Gospel, there are two commissions. We're most familiar with the final commission, what we usually call the Great Commission. There's a slide there, go into all the world and make disciples. So we're familiar with that one, to teach them everything that Jesus commanded. It's Matthew's final word in his Gospel. And it's the word that has inspired thousands of people to go around the world 
leave, lay down their lives for this task of making disciples. Over 200 years ago, the father of modern missions, William Carey, wrote uh, the very first treatise or apologetic for mission entirely based on this final commission in Matthew's gospel. Most often, though, I think we take those verses out of their original context and we kind of make them into a mission statement for the church and we become busy in the task of mission. But we can only obey the Great Commission, the final commission of Jesus, to the degree that we've understood, we've received, and we live in the rest of the gospel story. So to obey the final commission requires that we immerse ourselves in the story of the gospel as it comes to us. It's a story that's bathed in the compassion of Christ. In, this, in the Gospel of Matthew, there's actually two commissions. The first commission takes place in chapter 10, just after Jesus had compassion on the crowds, the one that we had read about. But to get, to the, to get the impact of this first commission, we have to think, see it in context. So I've got a little slide just to show you how this all works in Matthew's. The, just the, I think there's another one, right? Right after that. Okay, go. He had compassion. Yada, yada. Go to the next one. There we go. All right. Yeah, so what preceded this first commission? Uh, in chapter 4, there's, uh, or chapter 4 through 9 are kind of tied together. So in chapter 4, after Jesus is tempted by Satan, he begins his public ministry. And we see there he went through Galilee, teaching in their crowds and proclaiming the gospel, the kingdom, healing every disease, every affliction among the people. Great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So we see right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, very first part of his ministry, great crowds are already following. He's, he's interacting with the crowds. Okay, go to the next one. So these, they're tied together. So the passage we just read, 935 to 38, we see Jesus having compassion on the crowds. And before that, chapter 4, the great crowds. And there's two things that happen between these two paragraphs. And they're discipleship training episodes. The first part of discipleship training, we could call it phase one, is the Sermon on the Mount. He teaches his disciples what the kingdom's about. And then the second part of discipleship training, he does these ten miracles. And the disciples are there to watch him do these miracles, to, to lay his hands on the sick, to raise the dead even. And then right after that, he stands back and he, he uh, sees the crowds. And that's where we see that he has compassion on them because there's like sheep without a shepherd. And what's going to happen next at the very next paragraph in chapter 10 is Jesus is going to authorize his disciples and give them authority over sickness, demons, disease, death, and then send them out. To where? To the lost sheep of Israel. So his whole approach was to try to, before sending his disciples, to fill them with a sense of his compassion. So I want to look at this one verse, verse 36, and think about three aspects of the compassion of Christ. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So that's at least the third time this morning. You've heard that one sentence. Three things. He saw the crowds. I don't know what kind of feeling a crowd invokes in you, but for me, it's usually more one of irritation than compassion. So I get pushed and jostled. When it rains, I get an umbrella prong in my eye. We compete with the crowds for a seat in McDonald's, for a, for a train trip ticket at Chinese New Year's. <laughs> the crowd is not our friend. Now, I've already said that this word had compassion on is one word in Greek. It's the verb form for the word bowels. So if we're only used to thinking of a cosmic Jesus who is 
ruling above everything in heaven and earth, we not, might not be used to think of him as possessing intestines. But it was only the incarnation, the fact of his incarnation, the fact that he became one of us and then walked with us, that he could feel deeply in, his, in an inner man for the people around him. And the fact that I'm only irritated by the crowds is evidence that I have not yet developed the bowels like Christ. So as Jesus interacts or has interacted with all these individuals who make up the crowds, a man with leprosy, an army commander whose servant is sick, a blind man, a lame man, a woman who'd been sick for over a decade, a guy oppressed with a legion of demons. After interacting with all those individuals, he stands back and he sees all of them as the crowd. And he has seen the enormity of human need in the crowd, but it isn't as if the crowd is a concept. The need is in every single person who makes up that crowd. And it was the sheer enormity of human need that drove a spike into his inner man, into his intestines, into his very inner being. Not a God who stood above human need, but as one who became a man and walked among it and touched it with his own hands. So he saw, he saw those crowds. Kind of interesting, as I look at that passage and I think of Jesus in first century Palestine, all of Palestine had less than a million people. In Galilee, probably just a few thousand. And Jesus saw these people as crowds. Can you imagine if he was standing in San Tune on a Sunday afternoon? Or if he was standing in one of the migrant slums around Beijing and just watching the thousands and thousands and thousands of people go by. Understanding that behind each person, behind each face is a story. So I watched Jesus and I compare both his willing engagement with the crowd and his deep bowel wrenching feeling for them. And I compare it with my desire to flee from the crowd to my place of comfort. And my own simmering irritation for, about people who are in my way. There's a great gap between what Jesus sees and what I see. So he saw and he felt for their situation. He felt for what they had become. There's two words that describe their situation. They're here translated as harassed and helpless. These are two very graphic words in the original language. Harassed is more than what you feel like if you go to Yashau Market and they want you to buy stuff. Harassed actually literally means to have your skin taken off, to be skinned alive. Your protective layer is completely exposed. And the word helpless is more than just your IE taking the day off when company's coming or you can't get a taxi. It actually means being thrown to the ground, to be in a prone position, be completely unable to give up as if Manny Pacquiao has just laid the knockout punch on you. Harassed and helpless. Both of those words express extreme vulnerability. And Jesus felt for the crowds because he saw what these individuals had become. Skinned alive, thrown down through what life had brought their way. Through poverty, through sickness, through demons, through disease and death. So he felt. And then the third thing we see about him is he knew what was needed. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Close to the beginning of Matthew's gospel, as the gospel story begins, some wise men from the east were looking for this person that was going to be that was born under the star, this king. And there's a verse quoted in that story from uh, from the Old Testament 
about the ruler that would be born who would be a shepherd for the people of Israel. The very first way Jesus is revealed in the Gospel of Matthew is as a shepherd. And as he sees the crowd with, through, the eyes, through the eyes of a shepherd, he sees that this is the very thing that they are lacking. The leaders of Israel weren't shepherds. Instead, they only added to the tough lives of these sheep oppressive rules with guilt and shame, something that religion is pretty good at. But Jesus' game plan was to enable the sheep to be cared for by a shepherd. A few verses later, when he actually commissions his disciples for the first time in Matthew, he sends them where? To the lost sheep of Israel. Two things important to note here. We have to allow this to inform our hearing of the final commission to make disciples. Jesus is not interested, as interested in us getting a bunch of people to go through a class so they gather some knowledge. Intrinsic to the task of disciple making is shepherding the sheep. He wants sheep to be cared for. And second, the sheep need a shepherd. They don't ultimately need a glass of water, a comfortable bed, a listening ear, or religious information. They need ultimately connection with a shepherd who understands exactly how they are vulnerable and one who can protect them. So that's what you see, we see about the compassion of Christ. Let me just make three points quickly about what compassion is not, and then we'll look at some application points. Compassion, first of all, is not sentiment. That would be compassion without commission. As human beings, we love to feel things. Uh, we love to hear testimonies. My wife is a weeper whenever she hears a testimony. I, some of them could be talking about the, just the, 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 the silliest little thing. Their kid fell down and skinned their knee, and I see her going for a Kleenex. She'll start crying. Um, Oprah has built a billion-dollar empire based on t- moving stories because we love to feel things. And we think sometimes if we can feel something or feel more things, we're actually growing in compassion But we'll discover those feelings are actually very poor motivators over the long haul. They'll last until the coffee runs out and I feel tired uh, or the person that I'm trying to serve disappoints me. Sentiment is a poor motivator for mission. Compassion is also not a personality trait, which would be compassion with a partial commission. If you were to rate yourself on a scale of one to a hundred of innate compassion, I wonder how you'd come out, like zero being the absolute sociopath who has no interest in the feelings of others, can't feel what others feel, and a hundred being the person who's brought every stray animal home throughout their whole life. So zero to a hundred, where would you be in that scale? And in that regard, we normally think of women as being more compassionate and men being more logical. And we even have the heroes we talk about, Florence Nightingale, Amy Carmichael, Mother Teresa, models of compassion, but where are the men? Jesus was fully male and attempting to instill compassion into a band of 12 guys. True Christ-like compassion is not a personality trait. It's not a feminine quality. It's the result of being truly human. Jesus had the bowels of a true man, a perfect man and was deeply able to be deeply affected by the plight of others. And the third thing compassion is not is it's not activism, which would be commissioned without compassion. Sometimes we might think that if we can help someone in need, we'll become better people, maybe a better Christian. I can feel better about myself. 
Uh, I know business people who have uh, career people who have gotten tired of just making a good living. They've read that book halftime and they want to make the rest of their lives count. But helping people is not for the purpose of making us feel like we've contributed or we've left a legacy or we can feel less guilty about having a bigger slice of the pie ourselves. As we place ourselves in the gospel story as both part of the crowd and the disciples, we see, never see Jesus doing things for the sake of doing things. John Stott said there's two primary motivators for mission. The first is the glory of God, and the second is the compassion of Christ. To engage in his work without those two motivators is just to do work without a kingdom purpose. So in the gospel, like I said, commission and compassion are tied closely together. So we, hear the, we see the compassion of Christ, and we're compelled for his mission by that compassion. So let me just suggest four ways that that compassion will grow in us. Christ's compassion motivates our commission. First, compassion begins when I receive it. In the gospel story, I have to first put myself not as a disciple, but as one of the crowd. One of those for whom Jesus felt compassion. He saw me in that vulnerable place even before I realized it myself. For compassion to be more than a personality trait or a sentiment... And to motivate me to mission, I first have to experience the compassion of Christ in my life. And here's the problem for us. Most of us just don't feel vulnerable. In fact, we've spent most of our lives trying not to be vulnerable. We've got double locks on all our doors. We put our money in a safe place. We make sure that we've got enough saved up for our retirement. We have regular health checks so we can catch the disease early. We build homes that are earthquake-proof, storm-proof, flood-proof. We don't get involved with people we can't trust. We, share, we limit what we share, even with people we can. Our focus is so much on being safe and protected, not allowing ourselves to be vulnerable, that we can scarcely even recognize ourselves as sheep. But if we're fortunate, something will happen to us to prove that we are vulnerable sheep. We'll be bowled over by something in life that we just can't handle and have to run into the arms of a shepherd who is greater than what we're going through. I wouldn't wish it on any of us, but it has to happen for us to know that we really are just sheep. Out of control. How will we get that message? I got home last night. I had a long day last night after going to Robin's, uh, the Hope Foster home Got back and had dinner somewhere working on some stuff and at a, at a little restaurant and then had to get some printing done. I got home at 8 o'clock and then found out that a hot water pipe had burst in my apartment in Wangjing. There was about this much water on all the floors. Neighbors were knocking at my door saying, hey, water's seeping into my place. And so I spent the next three hours bailing it out, <laughs> trying to get the Wu Ye involved. And now I have no water, no gas, no anything. I didn't plan on that. I didn't schedule that in my life last night. A little thing to show me how out of control my life is. But even more seriously, three years ago, I went to New York to conduct a funeral for my closest friends, Hong Kong family, their 26-year-old daughter, at the prime of her, her, uh, not the prime of, well, kind of the prime of her life, 26 years old, but just rising star, and the bank she was working in suddenly got sick, spent two years being ill, and the family lost this kind of this jewel in their lives. And that cast them into the arms of the shepherd. 
What's it going to take for us to know? For us who are so busy at making ourselves invulnerable to realize that we truly are sheep. Compassion can only happen if I've first experienced it from Christ himself. Second, compassion grows when I look outside myself. After I've placed myself in the crowd, seen how vulnerable I am, the forces of life, I've been picked up by the shepherd, I take my place as a disciple, and I begin to look with his eyes at the world, and I see, begin to see what he sees. As disciples who have come out of the crowd, all of us then need to do this. We have to go through this practice of opening up our eyes intentionally to the plight of those around us, to those who are truly vulnerable, whether they know it or not. And so when life bowls them over in some way, there's a friend close by who has a connection to the shepherd. Do I possess the eyes to see those, the, vulnerabil- the vulnerability of others? And the only thing that can help us do this is just simply time, taking the time, stopping, looking, and then being intentional. Robin yesterday told us the story of how Hope Foster Home got started. And it just started when he and Joyce took a trip to an orphanage and they saw the plight of the babies. But they not only saw, they thought about it. They processed it, and it started to affect them so deeply, so they began to share truly the bowels of the Lord Jesus. And out of that, hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of kids have been rescued from death and adopted into families. I remember visiting my uh, first migrant home, a guy named Gao Mingli, local migrant pastor in Beijing. Mingli comes from Anhui province. And um, his home was just something I had never seen before, but it was just quite something, just a little tiny little room where his family lived together on one bed. As we sat there, he told me his story, um, how in 2003, 2005, 2007, his wife had three times been pregnant, and each time the baby died. The first two babies were stillborn. They came out of the womb dead. And the third baby uh, died uh, a week after it was being born. As Meng Li told me these things, I just thought, man, how could one person go through so much pain? And I began to feel for him the compassion of Christ. And his name will come up just as I come to the end of this message again. There's a final part to his story. But compassion grows when I begin to look outside myself and intentionally engage with others. Third, compassion is directed when I pray. Now, I mostly work among migrants. Uh, One of the best recent books, if you want to know something more about the migrant world, one of the best recent books is uh, called China's Urban Billion, written by a guy called Tom Miller, and describes in China's urbanization uh, how migrants are faring in this urbanization process. So now there's hundreds of millions of migrants moving around China. And one thing I've realized is that there is a story, often a dramatic story, behind every single one. The other day I was driven by a 24-year-old man from the mountainous area around Chengde, just north of Beijing. Very, very poor area. He's 24, has a three-year-old child already in kindergarten. They get married so young in the village. 
He works in a restaurant during the day and drives his car uh, during uh, at night. So seven days a week, morning and night, he's working just in order to pay for his family's expenses, including, including his child's kindergarten fees. The story behind every single one of these hundreds of millions of people. This guy identified himself as a Christian, has no time to go to church. Last night, um, as I, before I went home to the, the burst pipe I was eating in that restaurant and doing some things online, and I noticed this guy came in looking for a job. And the waiter said, well, just wait till Dajia comes back. And so he stood there and just kind of looked uncomfortable, didn't quite know what to do with himself. And nobody was paying him any mind. And Dajia never came. 20 minutes, I'm still working away. And finally, I went over to him and said, hey, why don't you come sit at my table? We can talk for a little while. I only had about 10, 15 minutes left. So he came and sat down with me and found out he's 31 years old from Hubei province. Uh, his wife and two-year-old child are back there, and he's gone a thousand-plus miles away from home in order to make some money to be able to support his family back home. Every single one of these hundreds of millions of people has a story that involves some kind of pressure where they are vulnerable. So before telling his disciples to go, Jesus told them to pray. You see, we cannot begin to touch Barely even touch individually the huge amount of human need that's all around us. And Jesus knew that there's only one person who can touch it. So he asked us, first of all, to pray. Pray to the Lord of harvest. He said, there's just so much out there. Pray that the Lord will send laborers into that harvest field. Your kingdom come is one of our first and most important prayers to pray. Asking God for his kingdom to come. Finally, compassion's expressed when I do what I'm told. Jesus does give his disciples a commission. Twice in Matthew's gospel, he tells them to go. One of the great lessons that we can learn in life is that this world needs a savior and that I am not it. I can only do the thing that I am told. I've noticed as I've come to China, and people have reminded me of this constantly, how much older I've gotten. I came when I was 47. I'm now 55. People often guess that I'm in my 60s. The other day, someone asked if I was 70. I said, hey, this is blonde hair. It's not white hair. And I realize the older I get, the less and less of an impact I personally will have in this world. I'm in this world just to know God and to do the little thing he tells me to do. It's probably not going to be a very big thing. I probably am not going to stand out. Nobody's going to be writing my biography later. But I can just do the little thing he sets before me. So after trying to form his compassion in in his disciples and then telling them to pray, Jesus does tell them to go. So he tells you that. Go. Don't go first. First do the other stuff. But go. Compassion is expressed when I do what I'm told. It might be crossing the street. It might be crossing to the other part of the world. It might be starting an orphanage. Who knows what he will tell you to do. But go. So I was telling you about Ming Li, the guy that they had three babies that all died. So a month after he told me that story, he came. He was one of my students. He came to my class one morning and pulled me aside and said, well, you won't believe this, but my wife is pregnant again. He said it was, a, it was an accident. We, we really didn't want this to happen. We just don't want to go through 
this experience a fourth time. And, you know, for migrants in the city, we, the medical care that they receive, receive is often problematic. So I didn't know as he was telling me the story if those three babies could have been saved if they had gotten medical care. I didn't know that. I didn't know if that was true or not. But what I did know was now that he had told me the story and I'm now his friend, the word go is to me for Meng Li. So what we had to do was try to make sure that his wife could be in the best situation possible where we could try our very best to make sure she was going to survive this fourth pregnancy and the baby would have the best chances possible. So we raised some money. I think Capital actually gave a little bit of money for that. Um, my friends uh, whose daughter were, were dying at the time gave most of, most of the money. And we got them into this nice little hospi- hospital. It cost 40,000 RMB. And she stayed there a whole week, which would have been like three years of wages for these guys. And uh, we paid for the whole thing. She was there for a week. It was like a palace compared to where, where they live. I remember going there. There was a C-section, going there the morning and praying with them before she was going to go and deliver the child or have, have the C-section done. And his wife, Ling Yun, said to me, it has never, ever entered my mind to question the goodness of God. I totally believe that God has always been good and he has our best interests in mind. This is from a lady who had lost three babies in childbirth. So she went in and uh, they delivered the child, healthy child. I think that baby now is four and um, a little bit overweight probably. Uh, very, very healthy kid. And I tell that story because Ming Li was in my life at that time. And it was my go. It was the go version of me. It was number four on the list. It was just the thing that was before me that had to be done. We can't do everything. God will do everything. But he has us placed as people who have received the compassion of Christ, people who have stopped to look around us, people who have begun to pray that the compassionate God would take care of the world that he loves so much, that great shepherd will care for the vulnerable sheep, And as we then will take those simple steps of obedience and just go and do the thing that he puts right in front of us because we first have received it. Let's pray. Thank you, uh, our Lord, that you see us in ways that we don't even see ourselves. All of us here are vulnerable. And I know that for, for many here, the vulnerability has been proven to them in different ways. And uh, we ask that you'll help keep reminding us that we are just simply your sheep that need to rest in your arms, run to you for protection. Free us from all independence. And Father, we ask that you will bless us to be those vessels and instruments in your hands that could go to the lost sheep, find those who are vulnerable, and express your kingdom desire to shepherd those people. Bless us with the power to do that. Thank you for everyone that's around these tables and the ways, many ways that they have done that for so many people. Bless your church. Fill us with your heart of compassion and spur us on to even more and more good works for the kingdom and for the glory of our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.